So let's think about it this way. We bring a dog here, you know, a very happy dog, beautiful Labrador or something like that, you know. And this Labrador has had a beautiful life, playing every day in the wild, you know, being happy, getting all the treats, getting all the belly rubs and everything. And then one day the Labrador falls asleep and I take out a bolt gun, unnecessarily shoot the dog in the head and I slit his throat, he didn't feel anything. Can I go around and say, I humanely killed an animal and would you pay me for that? There's no way these things would make sense in any way in a sane society. How do you compassionately, unnecessarily kill an animal who doesn't want to die? That's Seb Alex. And this is episode 164 of the Proof Podcast. Hey, beautiful friends. Welcome back to another episode. Here we are. An absolute pleasure to be here with you. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, Thank you so much for finally joining us, gracing us with your presence. I'm Simon Hill, host of this show, nutritionist, physiotherapist, and author. Please do sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains 8 key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating 2 to 3 pieces of fatty fish per week in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. 
After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash living proof to download your zero cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash living proof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. So veganism is basically a philosophy, a way of life, or uh, let's say a political stance against the exploitation of other animals based on their species, as far as practically possible, of course. You, you bring up someone in society that sees certain animals in a way and certain other animals in another way. That's the reality. I had never questioned animal products and where they come from or whether or not I should do it. Just the same way I never questioned if white is the color that I see when someone says white. Like, that's, that's my reality. That's what white, that's what the sky is, you know. You're never going to question these things. And that's why I think a lot of people get very offended when you bring up veganism because you're kind of asking them question to question something quite personal. Not only that, but as a result, the, the questioning what you're eating also extends to questioning what your parents have taught you, questioning what your teachers have taught you, questioning your habits, you know, your, your, what gives you pleasure. And these are very personal things. You know, if, if someone's parents, like, like all of us, actually, they, they, they told you like meat is good. You need this, you need milk and that. And then someone else that you don't even know comes up to you and says, actually, that's completely wrong. It's actually very unhealthy and it's extremely cruel and unnecessary. Why would you believe them at first go? You know, you're going to go like, whoa, who are you to tell me what my parents told me is good for me is actually bad for me. That's quite a personal thing to, to tell someone. Like you don't approach with that, but they definitely have these thoughts in their hands. We are brought up in a society that treats certain animals in some way and certain others in another way. I mean, it, it sounds quite innocent, right? You're just drinking milk. You're not thinking of like killing someone. But the way it happens is, first of all, cows don't produce milk for the sake of producing milk. They're not like a tree who just produces fruits. The only reason cows produce milk is because they got pregnant and they gave birth. And therefore, just like any other mammal, their bodies started producing breast milk. So for us to have their breast milk, it means their babies are not going to have the breast milk. So in uh, standard farming, what happens is, first of all, they, they get the bulls and they annually electrocute them, which results in ejaculation. And they collect the semen and then they use the semen and put their arms inside the cow in what the industry calls a rape rack. In beautiful words, artificial insemination. So they get the cow pregnant in that way. And then after the pregnancy, the cow gives birth. Now, after giving birth, if the baby stays with the cow, the calf, he or she is going to start drinking the milk. But they take the calf away, maybe on the first day or the second or the third day, and they put the calf away and they start taking the milk to sell it for human consumption, to make butter, to make cheese, to sell it as fresh milk or whatever. Basically, two things happen at this point. The calf, if it's a male, they kill the calf straight away because what is a male calf going to bring to the dairy industry? So they're considered useless. So they either get killed and they're just garbage or they get killed and their flesh is sold as veal, you know, which is just like a beautiful word again to say a killed, a murdered baby cow because we took the milk and the calf doesn't bring us anything. So we're going to sell it as veal. If the calf is female, 
she will be put in another side of the farm where she will grow until two years old. She starts going through the same process of getting artificially inseminated and having her kids taken away from her, babies taken away from her. And basically that goes on for like, I think around five years. So for five years, the cows are artificially inseminated and then their babies are taken away from them. And, and not only is that really physically exhausting, it's also emotionally exhausting because cows do have the bond with their babies. You know, like you go into a dairy farm where the cows have just given birth, you hear them crying out for their babies. You hear the babies crying out for the mothers, you know. And the first one I entered, actually, it was a Cadbury farm. So it belonged to Cadbury. And all the babies were like facing that way. And in the back on the right side, were all the mothers and literally all the mothers had gathered like on the corner and crying out for their babies, but the babies are facing that way so they can't even see the mothers. It's really disturbing, like to say the least. And this is like standard industry practice, this is how it works. And then after five years of going through this, they eventually just collapse from exhaustion and they're called a downer. So a downer is a cow that can no longer go through this. And that's when they take her and they send her to slaughter for her flesh. That is why there's no difference between the meat industry and the dairy industry. And I would even argue that the dairy industry is much worse than the meat industry. But up to 50% of the flesh that is eaten by humans, you know, the burgers and sausages, comes from dairy industry mothers, like who no longer continue the process. So they are killed for their flesh after five years instead of living like 15 to 20 years in nature. Eggs is also one of these things where it just seems so like innocent. You're literally just picking up an egg and eating it, you know? So it doesn't like, you wouldn't think that there's any cruelty involved. Now, we have to keep in mind that it's not always like how it's done. It's not, it's not, it's not an animal welfare issue. It's not about the cruelty only, let's say. It's the fact that they are treated as objects. It's the fact that they are treated as commodities. You know, they don't have the right to their own life. So when it comes to eggs, we can talk all day about like battery cages and everything, you know, which I've seen as well. And it's like, they take these very small cages and stuff them with like seven chickens and they're just there laying eggs the whole time. And the lights are on the whole time to also make them extremely anxious. And, and that results in like more laying eggs or something. And they're not healthy and they're just miserable there their whole life and they don't even know why. And that is like the, let's say the worst case. I mean, there's definitely worse, but then there's the other side where like they call it free range, which basically means you can put up to 15,000 chickens in one shed because there's no cages. So you can just fill it up. You know, that's free range. So if you're going to start from the beginning, there's insemination, the fertilization, and there's the egg. And then they take the eggs and there's these hatcheries, which are basically huge, huge factories where there's thousands of eggs that are going to break and there's a chicken side, but you don't know if the chick is male or female. So there's these conveyor belts and there's workers on each side and they separate the male from the female. And the females are because they're going to lay eggs, so they go on a, on a different conveyor belt. And the males, they go straight into a shredder literally the first minute that they're alive, like the first hours of their first day alive, they're going to go into a shredder. And yeah, we shred them alive and we call that humane actually. And I actually have a childhood friend who works in the poultry industry. And he told me that at work, they don't call it a shredder, they call it the euthanizer because it causes them less stress to think that they're shredding alive tens of thousands of chicks every single day. Putting pigs into a gas chamber in 2019 is called humane. 
and I've heard their screams inside the gas chamber. It's like the most terrifying thing you can hear. So, so basically they put them in these cages and they lower them into gas chambers and they pump in CO2. And literally the worker of the slaughterhouse told me, imagine you're breathing and instead of air, it's filling up with water in your lungs and you're suffocating from the inside. That's what the pigs feel like. And so as a result, they pass out. When they pass out, they hang them upside down and they slit their throat. But because during the process of slitting their throat, the pig was unconscious, it's called humane. People who are like raising questions, people who are becoming more conscious, how do you get them to stay on your side? The only thing you can do is false marketing. Let's say you have a free range farm with 50,000 chickens. You take the product, you look at it. It's a chicken walking around in a beautiful garden, you know? And then they call it free range Happy eggs, this sort of, oh, by the way, like when I was vegetarian, I was buying all these products, the happy milk, the free range eggs and all these things, because it made me feel good. That's the thing. That's how it works. You make the consumer feel good about the product they're not supposed to feel good about. And they love that. And I love that. I love the fact that I'm going to pay one euro more and get the milk from happy cows because cows deserve to be happy. I used to do that, you know, so... And people like non-vegans have to keep this in mind, you know, just because I'm talking about animal rights now and veganism doesn't mean I've been vegan my whole life. You know, I used to go hunt, you know, like literally I was on the other side. I believe the biggest thing that holds people back is the fact that they don't have those information. That's why I think activism is so important because most people just don't know. And another thing is that most people eat animals because most people eat animals. It's seen as something normal. If I talk to you about veganism and you're interested, I'm going to keep on talking until like you have all the information. If I know you're interested, but you don't want to hear me talking, I'd rather just give you the resources. You do your own research, you know. It's just there and it's, it's, it's not that difficult, you know. You get used to it so fast and your body will thank you for it. And I want to give the information that I wish someone else gave to me earlier in, in my life. I think, unfortunately, misinformation is the biggest thing. After that, I think habit is another reason because you're afraid of how much it's going to change your daily routine. And I promise you, it's not that much. Like, Also, one important thing is you get used to it so fast. Like, You go vegan, first day it's weird, second day it's even weirder, third day you're like, what is going on? And then within two weeks, you're going to be like, okay, this is much easier than what I thought, you know? You don't have to go buy the vegan cheese, vegan burgers, vegan sausages, you know, all the time. You can still eat a whole foods, plant-based diet, stick to your rice and veggies and greens and beans and legumes and nuts and seeds. You know, you're going to spend less money than ever and save more. And you're going to be eating healthier and feeling better and saving more animals or at least not contributing to unnecessary animal slaughter. So habit and convenience, unfortunately. But convenience is changing. You know, you have vegan foods everywhere now. I mean, if you live in the middle of nowhere and you're going to tell me you're not going to go vegan because your local supermarket doesn't have um, vegan Ben and Jerry's, then yeah, but I'm pretty sure they have rice and beans and potatoes and like real food, you know? So yeah, convenience is always there, but it has become more convenient in the sense of you can still walk into a supermarket and get vegan nuggets and vegan pizza and everything you were having as a non-vegan, just in the vegan way. Uh, some people can say that our brains became so large because of eating meat, which was um, debunked like years ago. If you just think about it logically as well, before we get to the science part of it, our brains don't run on animal fat or protein. They actually run on carbs. Therefore, it was actually starches that made our brains bigger. 
and cooking starches, of course, the fire did play a big role. When it comes to canine, canine's scientific role, let's say, is to hold food in, in a certain position, not to kill other animals. And if you think the canines you have could kill an animal, I wish you good luck. Um, I could barely chew kale with my teeth, let alone um, like feasting on an animal. One of the biggest canines in land animals is, is the rhinos and the hippos, and they don't eat animals. It's not made for that. I mean, if you, if you compare the way our mouth is made, most of our teeth are flat and short for grinding. We're, only herbivores can move their jaws sideways like this because we, we grind our food before swallowing it instead of just ripping it apart and swallowing as carnivores do. And um, yes, once upon a time in history, we did have to eat animals for survival reasons. And that is completely different. Now we're not talking about survival anymore. I mean, we live in cities and walk into the same supermarkets. You're not buying meat because you have to survive. You're buying it because of habit, pleasure, taste, things like that. So let's think about it this way. We bring a dog here, you know, very happy dog, beautiful Labrador or something like that, you know. And this Labrador has had a beautiful life playing every day in the wild, you know, being happy, getting all the treats, getting all the belly rubs and everything. And then one day the Labrador falls asleep. And another method, by the way, of killing animals humanely is to use a bolt gun. So basically it's like a gun and you, they put it on the forehead and they shoot and the metal makes them unconscious. So imagine the dog is asleep and I take out a bolt gun, unnecessarily shoot the dog in the head and I slit his throat. He didn't feel anything. Can I go around and say, I humanely killed an animal? And would you pay me for that? There's, there's no way these things would make sense in any way in a sane society. The definition of humane is to show compassion or benevolence. So if we're going to rephrase that, or let's make it more, let's say, simple in terms. How do you compassionately, unnecessarily kill an animal who doesn't want to die? To die, to die? There we go. How did that one land for you? I hope that you found it interesting, instructive, illuminating, all the things. Of course, if you did, please do share with your friends and family on the socials. The more people that we can help together, the better. And while you're there, make sure that we're connected too. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at plant underscore proof. That's at plant underscore proof. And on that lovely note, it's time to bring this one to a close. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate you and I look forward to repeating it all again in a few days' time. Until then, remember, more plants, my friends, more plants.